Good morning. Thank you for your prayers this week. I feel sort of at home up here today because I've done most of my preaching behind cell bars and y'all I got masks on like you need to be there. So you've set me at ease today already, but I do thank you. Today we begin our journey through the gospel of John and John states his purpose. That he says, I recorded these signs that you may come to know and believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might receive eternal life. This is a purpose. This is a great promise that we've given, uh, been given through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, as we journey through this gospel, I want to invite you to do one thing. Daily, okay, can you take an invite, invitation? I invite you to strap on your spiritual sandals and walk with Jesus and his disciples through Judea, Samaria, and Galilee to camp with them, to sit with them, to hear his words of life, to talk to him, to get to know him, to love him. John is the great campground for us because Jesus is always present there. You can meet him there and enjoy fellowship with him. And while you're in the Gospel of John, it don't hurt to stay in there for a long time. I hope we're in here two or three years, but you can always stay in it. I want you to sign up for Jesus' one-night school of discipleship in chapters 13 through 16. And let the greatest teacher ever teach you then daily apply these teachings to your life until you are complete in Christ. So that's, that's my invite. So uh, I know it works because it's worked for me all these years. So as we, uh, in John, we uh, have three words that reoccur 195 times. Just three words, Okay. And they're the message of basically the whole book or the whole of all the gospel. The word sent, the word believe, and the word life. Those three words. The Father sent Jesus from the glory of heavens to this sinful earth. And every time I see that word in its context or say it in context, it's, my heart just jumps around and says, God loves me. He sent his son. And the word believe, believes, believed, uh, believeth, is to verify that something is true, it's reliable, it's effective, it's to know it, it's to identify that it's absolutely the real deal and that you can put all your trust in it. And today we're speaking of that it is Jesus Christ. Oh, and this word life, this is eternal life. And it's to have the life of God in your soul. And God has a great motive for sending uh, this life to us. And the motive of our triune God is love. I call it, or Paul calls it, uncomprehendable love. It's like an ocean. Are you swimming in his love today? It's unchanging love. Are you resting in his love today? It's undeserved love. Are you accepting his love today? A lot of people don't want to accept all of 
his love. We sang that song just a few minutes ago, that old Welsh revival song called The Love Song of God to God. It says, let me all thy love accepting, love thee ever all my days. You've got to love, accept it. And are you, it's unrivaled love. Are you boasting in it? It's undeserved love. It's unending love. Are you enjoying it now? Because you will enjoy it forever and ever and ever with no end. So, because God loves us, he sent his son to give life to all who will believe. His love never fails, folks. His love never fails. Try it. Test it. Prove it. His love never fails for you. God loves you. God loves you. So join me uh, as I ask the Father to do his work here today. Abba, Father, please, again I beg you in the name of Jesus to pour your spirit upon this place today and like a gentle rain, soften our hardened hearts. Make our lives reflect the life of Christ to those around us that you would be glorified in your salvation. And blessed Holy Spirit, there are those here today uh, who need your mighty wind to blow through here and making the spiritually dead alive, giving them the gift of saving faith that unites them to Jesus' death and resurrection. So, Father, do your work here in this little auditorium. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Well, John 20, verse 30 and 31, Pastor, I hope you didn't get all jumped around and looked at the wrong verses, but uh, they're nowhere on my radar. But uh, I'll read the New King James, which is what I like. So let me read uh, these texts, uh, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, and please listen as we ask God to speak to our hearts through his word. Hear the word of God, Grace Church. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name, the Word of God. Folks, this is good news. This is real good news. The gospel of God that saves sinners. Jesus even preached in Mark 1. I know Pastor Jordan has been in Mark, but he re- He cried out, repent and believe the gospel. So in these two verses today, John has stated the purpose of this Holy Spirit-inspired book. And it goes like this, to reveal to all that Jesus of Nazareth, the lowly carpenter, is the promised Messiah, Savior of the world, the Son of God, and that he gives life to all who believe in his name. In verse 30 then, our, our, where we start out today, it says, truly, Jesus did many other signs. If you look in the last verse of this gospel, uh, chapter 21, 15, John records this. And uh, it, it sort of tickles me. 
one because I sell books for the last 40-something years and other because all the guys get all these books, you know, and they want the books. But listen to this. <clears throat> and there are also many other things written that Jesus did, which, if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And this, like I said, we all have some of these books about Jesus, and very few of them was written 100 A.D., uh, they're written today. <clears throat> so they're still being written about Christ. This, this, what a, what a, what a man. What a God. So John is, in his, in his uh, gospel, has given us only select signs, wonders, and works, and miracles that Jesus did. Only select ones, okay? He didn't cover the whole thing. But he given to him for a purpose. And that's what we're going to focus on now in verse 31. Uh, verse 31 has two parts. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This evidence and these testimonies you're about to hear now and throughout all of the Gospel of John were written after Jesus returned to heaven, okay? So John is recording this from that perspective. I count 10 signs. I know my count is not always on target, according to some of these guys. But it's, uh, I count 10 signs. Seven of them happened immediately. Jesus said it, it happened. And the other three were delayed in their action. And I will try to point those out as we run through. Now, we're going to look at a brief look at these signs because he said these are written. So we have to know a little bit about what's written. And they'll be preached through later on. So I'm just going to fly over them uh, from a a high view, and, and let you hear them. So, here they are, starting in chapter 2 through 11. These signs are like great billboards along the highway. They reveal that Jesus of Nazareth, a lowly carpenter, from, is a most extraordinary and unique man. So, chapter 2, the first sign. At the wedding in Cana, here's the sign, Jesus turned the water into the best wine. And the disciples believed. And the second one is also in chapter 2. It's when Jesus made a whip and he, with zeal, drove out the animal, uh, animals in the, of the temple and turned the money changers' tables over. So the Jews asked for a sign to prove his authority to clear out their temple. And here's a delayed action sign. Jesus said... Destroy this temple, and I will raise it in three days. Well, this truly baffled these guys. It took 46 years to build this temple. And this man just said he'd redo it in three days. Well, after the resurrection, so it's delayed, see, the disciples remembered and believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. We have the third sign in chapter 3. Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, I know your signs and miracles tell us you're from God. Jesus looks at him and says, uh, to enter the kingdom of God, to enter life, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is all in the quandary and says, how can this be? And in verse 14, Jesus said, 
This is a sign among all signs. Now, this is the sign. If you ever want to stop and look at a roadside sign that says something, look at this sign. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The sign given to Nicodemus was accomplished at the crucifixion. In verse 15, he gives the reason for this sign. And whoever believes this sign, Jesus Christ crucified, will not perish. Whoever believes this sign will not perish, but will have eternal life. Back then and through the ages, this sign is still the only hope for eternal life. Christ crucified. Oh, precious souls. Precious souls, those who believe and those who don't believe about Christ, this truth. This love from the cross cries out, do not perish. Look upon Christ crucified and live. The fourth sign is in chapter 4, the Samaritan at the well. Man, she meets Jesus there and after some conversations, Jesus asks her, go get your husband. She looks at him and says, I have no husband. And then here's the sign. Jesus says, I know it. You have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. And you see the light come on in her mind, this little lady by the well. And she says, "Uh, I know that the Messiah is coming. He will tell us all things. And Jesus, I who speak to you am he. So he's, he's saying, I am the Messiah the promised one. And the fifth sign is also in chapter 4 when uh, the nobleman whose son was near death found Jesus in Cana and asked him to come and heal his son. And here's the sign. Jesus says, return home, your son lives. The nobleman returning home learns that his son was healed the previous day when Jesus said to him, your son lives. This nobleman in all of his household Believed. In chapter uh, 5, there's the sixth sign. And Jesus <clears throat> saw this man laying by a pool at the sheep gate, and he had been, had an infirmity for 38 years. And here's the sign. Jesus asked him, Do you want to be made well? Rise, take up your bed and walk. He immediately took up the bed and walked. So the lame walked, right? In chapter 6, there's another sign, the seventh sign. And after seeing, <clears throat> uh, after seeing Jesus heal the sick and diseased, a multitude of peoples followed Jesus around the Sea of Galilee to where he's supposed to be resting. And the sign here, Jesus saw the multitude and he fed the multitude with five loaves of bread and two small fish. And then the disciples gathered up 12 baskets of leftovers. They who were fed believed Jesus to be the prophet. So you see all these signs are proving to people around them who he is. In the eighth sign in chapter 7 verse 37, Jesus stands up and calls out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In verse 38, the delayed sign. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39 says, 
But this Jesus spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Folks, this sign is active today. It was preached for a while ago. It's been prayed for for a while that God would uh, cause us believers to experience a life full of his Holy Spirit. Jesus promised it. We need to come to the place where all of these things are laid aside and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us as believers, receive this promise, this sign, flow out of us. Oh, what a different church we would be. What a different city there would be. What a different world it would be if the Christians would only bow to this truth and receive it. Well, many in that crowd believed Jesus is the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. And the ninth sign is in chapter 9. Jesus meets a man born blind. And he, he spat on the ground and made a clay mixture and he put it on his eyes and sent him to the pool called Salome to wash it off. And here's the sign, folks. This blind man, born blind, came back seeing. He had sight. And so uh, after some debate, the Jews cast this guy out. And uh, I think he asked them if, if uh, they wanted to be Jesus' disciples, and they had no thought about that. So uh, Jesus found him. Jesus found this blind, was blind, once blind man. And he said, do you believe in the Son of God? And this man who hadn't seen but a couple of hours, he's standing there, and Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he's he's looking around like, who is he? Who is he? And Jesus says, I'm him. You're talking to me. You're talking to me. You have both seen him and it's he who he's talking to. And the man said, Lord, I believe. You remember when you were blind, believer? Couldn't see Christ, but now you see him. Oh, what a joy fills your heart continually. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continual joy of believing in Christ as Lord and Savior. And our last sign is in chapter 11. Lazarus, the friend of Christ, dies. And it's four days before Jesus arrives to the, to the family. And Jesus says to Martha, I'm the resurrection life. Martha, do you believe this? Martha said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. And this was before the sign was even shown, okay? The sign is Jesus at the tomb. He says, roll the stone away. They said, oh, Lord, he stinks. He's been dead four days, four days. Jesus stands there and he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And the sign out of that tomb comes the man wrapped in, in grave clothes, his head covered, and he waddles out there, and Jesus says, undo him and turn him loose. The sign is a resurrected man from the tomb. Many believed when they saw the sign of the resurrection. Well, these select signs and wonders and miracles and works all did by Jesus, the lowly carpenter of Nazareth were written by John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 10, 38, Jesus says, if you can't believe me by looking at this little Jewish carpenter, 
this little nobody from Nazareth, if you can't believe me that I am the Messiah, believe the works that I do. And he'd done heal, give sight to the blind, and the lame man was walking, and the dead were raised, and others, other signs he had done. He said, believe the works, believe the signs that I do. Christ, these signs were given that we may believe that Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And both of these words, Christ and Messiah, are interpreted as the great deliverer of Israel. And he's also the anointed one, the promised one, who had been long awaited by the Jewish people. And it was prophesied about this one to come, that he would be a man born among men. He would be victorious over all his foes. He would set up a kingdom to not to be moved or defeated. He would be a prophet, a priest, and a king. And all nations would be blessed by him. He would be the savior of the world. They sang songs about their promised Messiah. They prayed for him to come quickly and reveal himself, desire of nations. The Jews had a very, very high expectations of their promised Messiah. And again, could this lowly carpenter from Nazareth be him? The Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. Man, he had no crown, no scepter, no royal robes to wear, no palace to live in, no chariots to ride in, no trumpets announcing his comings and going. When he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, he had to bar a donkey. And when he was crucified, they had to bar a grave to bury him in. But he gave that back in three days. Listen, many of the religious leaders could not accept this lowly carpenter as Messiah or Savior. But he is the only one that God will send, his only begotten son. And John writes these testimonies to help us to believe like his word says so we can believe. In chapter 1, Andrew says, we found the Messiah. And Philip says, we found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. In chapter 4, the woman at the well says, I know that Messiah is coming because Jesus says, I am he. And the Samaritan people after that great two-day conference at Jacob's well, I know a lot of y'all would like to sign up to go to that, but who would go to a carpenter's conference at a well? We know this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. In chapter 6, Peter, speaking for all the disciples, says, We have come to know and believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Martha answered in chapter 11, I believe that you are the Christ. These recorded testimonies, they're declaring the carpenter from Nazareth to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one. Who do you say he is? Is somebody your parents come and listen about or told a book around and read about? Or have you claimed him as your Messiah, your Savior, your Lord? But these signs and works and miracles also written that you may believe that Jesus of Nazareth is not only Messiah, but also the Son of God.
the second person of the Trinity. John begins his gospel describing someone. He says, the word, eternal, God, creator, light, Lamb of God, baptizer, son of God, rabbi, Messiah, king of Israel. And he points to that someone. He says, Jesus of Nazareth. How awesome. How awesome that one unknown man could be called God like this. Eternal. All of these, all of these fulfill uh, who Christ is. And it takes God-given faith to believe this about Jesus of Nazareth. God-given faith. So ask God for faith to receive. Pray for his Holy Spirit to give faith to believe. If you want to pray for your children, your friends, your people around the world, pray that. Oh God, Holy Spirit, give faith. Make them alive and give them faith to receive the truth of this Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, the man who had been sick 38 years, Jesus told him to rise. Well, Jesus did this sign on the Sabbath, and that was a no-no to the Jewish religious people. And they questioned him about working on the Sabbath. But in verse 18, Jesus said that he was, that God was his father making himself equal with God. These men were looking at a Jewish carpenter. I I don't know what he would look like, maybe a shorter Trey Davis, uh, something like that. uh, But they were looking at that man, and he said he'd made himself equal with God. Is your Jesus God, or is he someone obscure? Jesus is God. Listen to him. Look at him. This sign, uh, they just couldn't do it. The Jews did not believe him, so they sought to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Chapter 8, after being asked twice, I like this. Jesus, they was questioning him and asking him, says, Who are you? And later on, that's in verse 25, and going on down, they question him, talk a while longer, have conversations, and This, who do you make yourself out to be? Who are you? And then after some more conversation toward the end of chapter 8, Jesus answers, before Abraham was, I am. Remember your Exodus study, the third chapter, 13th verse? I am the same one. Now I am, I wrote a little definition out and uh, It's not I was or I will be, but I am. I am the eternal God, the unbeginning, unending one, the all-knowing, all-powerful one. I am God. That's who he is. In chapter 14, Philip says, well, show us the Father. And Jesus says to Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. When I walked with him, when you walked with me, you walked with the Father. When you camped with me, you camped with the Father. When you talked to me, you talked with the Father. When you loved me, you loved the Father. Jesus Christ, this Jesus, he is altogether lovely. Christian, believer, 
Let him be. Discover him as altogether lovely. Those who are yet to believe, you have something to look forward to. This altogether lovely one. He is truly dazzling to all who believe. And only in Jesus of Nazareth can this, these testimonies be found to be absolutely true that he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Do you believe that Jesus, this lowly carpenter of Nazareth, is the Son of God? If not, he's the biggest liar in the world it ever would be. If he is, he is God in the flesh. I know. Jesus is who he says he is. I believe. Do you? Believe. Believe. These are written But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You may believe that he's the real deal. You may believe and put all your trust in this carpenter from Nazareth because he is God in the flesh. Well, part two of that verse 31, uh, and that believing you may have life in his name. Uh, This is an awesome promise. You want eternal life? Only through the name of Christ will you get it. Excuse me. Uh, There's no other name under heaven by which one can be saved. Sent by his Father, Jesus came to give us life that we did not have. Life that we could not earn. Life that we could not buy. And certainly life we did not deserve. But the life he gives, we must have or we perish. We perish. Excuse me. So let us examine this life. Why do we need this life? Why do you need this life? Why do I need this life? Without it, we can only perish. There is no other option. Either life or perish, live or die. A lot of times we talk about dying in this respect and you don't quite get a hold of it, but we'll try and and, uh, look at that a little bit right now. Without this life, we only perish. Think about what it means to perish. Think about it. Are you thinking about what it means to perish? Are you just passing your time? Think about what it means to perish. It's important. <clears throat> For we all, by nature, are born sinners. Even the little ones up here today. Give them enough time, they'll show it. We're born sinners before a holy God, and we deserve only to perish. And to perish is to be cast into the lake of fire. It is eternal death. It is called the second death in the book of Revelation. John 3, 14 and 15. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Here's the sign. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not perish, Christ is warning us, right? And we will all perish unless we look to him crucified and live. No one who will not 
look to Jesus for life, the unbeliever will perish. The one who will not look to Jesus for life, the unbeliever will perish in the eternal lake of fire. Let's see what the word says. John 3.36, He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Mark 9, Jesus says the unrepentant sinner will be cast into hell where there, excuse me, and he describes it, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In Revelation 20, verse 15, anyone not found in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the perishing soul's forever torment, to be cast into the lake of fire. It's called a second death, people. Now, this is not a scare tactic. This is a truth from God. This is a love message. He wants you to know the consequence of not believing, of not receiving, of not seeking. He wants you to know. It's a warning. It's an alarm to the unconverted is what it is. The unbelievers, those who refuse to look to Christ crucified, will perish. God does not want you to perish. God made us in his image so we could worship him and enjoy him forever. But to die in your sins is to perish, for the wages of sin is death. But the Son of God, this Messiah, this Savior, he pays our sin debt with his cross death. Believe it and live. Now, folks, For those who are yet to believe, today is the day of salvation. Today, young people, old people, any people, look upon Jesus nailed to the cross, believe and you will receive life and not perish. But also in John 3, 14 and 15, Jesus says, Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The gift of eternal life is to have an everlasting life, a forever life in the kingdom of God. And I love this little verse, John 10, 10. I think we talked a little bit about this last week with one of my brothers. Uh, John 10, 9, you have the door that leads into life. In John 10, 11, you have the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And in the middle of that, you have verse 10. And Jesus says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You have two forces at work, always at work. The thief hates you. He will destroy you. He will kill you. He will do anything to keep you from receiving the gift of eternal life. He'll make bad look good. He'll make greedy make you feel good for a while. He'll do lots of things to keep your heart and mind and eyes off of Jesus Christ. Do not be blind to the work of the thief. Listen to John's gospel and become wise to it. Know the thief's deadly deception and don't fall prey to it. Because you have a second force at work. It's the good shepherd. He loves you. He will die for you. He wants to save you. And he'll give you not only life, 
but abundant life. That's a life of joy, of peace, of strength and love. This life is for the believer to receive from Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Are you experiencing the abundant life? Are you living a so-so life, believer? Are you letting the world whoop you down? Are you living, holding on to Christ? Well, as our old friend says, there you have it. John's recorded evidence and testimonies that God in love sent his son, and by doing these select signs, Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth, without a doubt proves himself to be the promised Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God that gives eternal life to all who will believe. And he can give eternal life because it's his to give. So look there hanging on a Roman cross. It is Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth. And he is our Messiah, our Savior. And he is the Son of God, our Redeemer. Oh, people, look and live. Well, I have one application, and I would have brought it with me, but everybody would have touched it, and that wouldn't have been socially acceptable in this days and time, so I'll explain it. In my office, I have a picture, and that picture has a broad way on this side and a little narrow door over here. And the picture, and it says, welcome on Broadway, welcome, and then the sign says, uh, destruction and damnation and death, okay, on the Broadway. And man, you, all the people are going up that Broadway, uh, living their life for themselves, getting what they can out of, out of this life down here, and yonder at the end, there's a fire coming up, and they're walking on toward that end like that fire's going to go out before they get there, but it's not. That's the Broadway. And then the other side of the, the picture is a little, little bitty door. I'm talking about a little door you barely can get through, it looks like. And this little door, it's, you enter that door and you enter life eternal and you're on your way from, from entering into the heavenly city yonder in heaven. And right up in the middle of the center at the top is this one big eye looking at you, sort of like mine. Sort of one big eye looking at you, seeing you on the broad way or the narrow way. Folks, you, you don't, you're seen wherever you're at. The broad way is the street that ends in the lake of fire where there's no escape. There, there is the unbeliever's tragic end. And many are going down the broad way today. Look around you. Some of y'all are on the broad way today. But narrow is the way, is a small door that one enters to life eternal leading to the heavenly city, the believer's happy destination, for their heavenly city does not disappear. It's there forever and ever and ever for those who believe and enter the narrow way. Well, I think I've given enough Invitations today about crying out and calling out and looking to Christ. So I want to end by reading a few verses preceding verse 30 in chapter 20. I'll start with 24 and read this down. Listen to the word of God again. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. 
The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the prints of the nail and put my fingers into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it to my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. This is what John has given us in his gospel, y'all. We can't see Christ literally, but we can see him in the pages here. We can know he's real. He's calling out to you. Do not be an unbeliever. Believe. Look to Christ and live. Don't be an unbeliever and perish. I was telling uh, someone today, God don't have no grandchildren. You got to be born again. That's the only way you get united to Christ. Be born again. And how do you how does that happen? You ask the Holy Spirit to make you alive and give you the gift of saving faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Lord bless you, and Father, we ask you to continue your work with your words spoken today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.